Hello, welcome to the coffee celebration. Today, my guest is uh, Laura Elizabeth. She is a first time author from the Atlanta, Georgia area. She has an upcoming book, which I tried to buy already, but it's not coming out till September, right? That's so, right. You got it. Good to that. Um, All is Now Lost. It is the first book in a series. It is that set in South Carolina, low country, which I'll ask about because I'm not quite sure about all the geographical things of the South. Um, it's part of, <clears throat> excuse me, it's part of the Island Mystery Series. Um, your family traveled to, I might mispronounce this, Defusky Island? You got it. Yes, <laughs> you got it. Okay. Um, and... We, you said your family was initially captivated by this island. Um, and in 2020, you began a quiet campaign to connect with people who could be interested in revitalizing um, this area. And I, okay, I have so many questions. So I'm going to dive Great. in. I love it. Okay, you're originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Is that right? I'm not originally from Atlanta, Georgia, but I live there now. And um, I was born in New Jersey. I lived most of my life in the Northeast, in Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, I went to college in the Boston area. That's where I met my husband. Um, we spent a decade or more in the Richmond, Virginia area. And then the last stop has been here in Atlanta. So up and down the Eastern seacoast, but that's where we are now. Excuse me. I don't know what happened to my voice. <laughs> okay. So New Jersey to um, the Southern states, that's quite an acclamation, isn't it? Transition. It is. Yes, it is. It's uh, definitely when we move. had lived there, not everyone, of course, but a lot of people had lived there for many years, generationally, which is very common in the South. And um, so it, it has been an acclamation. Atlanta, as a large metropolitan city, you know, people tend to care about that less because it's such a hodgepodge of all cultures. It's very energizing, you know, living in this area with just the historic South and then people bringing their culture in from all different places. So it is a good mix of um, different flavors and cultures and people. And, you know, people tend to care about where you're from a little bit less here in a metropolitan city. So, yeah. Um, are you happy not to have those New Jersey winters? Just throwing it out there because I know they can be fierce. Unless the second half of your question, am I happy not to have? The, the East Coast winters, you know. I do not miss that. <laughs> yes, I, I do not. No. <laughs> when we left Connecticut, we had had a period of time for about, I, I can't remember, maybe three or more weeks where it was below zero. And all of our stuff was frozen to the ground. Like my children were small and they had the little tykes, you know, sandbox and a uh, little pretend grill and all of that stuff. All of it was frozen to the ground. Yeah, our real grill was frozen onto the deck. And so we had to leave all of it. We felt like it was um, like when you go to the cosmetic counter at the department store and you get the bag of moisturizer and lipstick and all of that, like gift with purchase, like that was their gift <laughs> with the purchase. It was probably a bunch of stuff they didn't really want, but they got it. So it was frozen. We couldn't get off. We do not miss that. We always say we cannot go back to that. Mm -mm. How did your family, being from the Northeast, find this lovely island and like walk me through that? I, I mean, it's it's not necessarily something that's advertised. And I know when we were growing up, there was no Internet. There was, you know, you had to get things by the mail. Like, how did this come together? It's so funny the way it was so serendipitous. It's um, we were supposed we had moved to Richmond. We had we had a dog, and then we adopted a rescue toddler, um, Yellow Lab. And so we had these two dogs. 
And we lived in Richmond. We had no family in the area. And we were supposed to be going. Thing planned. Our neighbor was supposed to watch the dogs. And um, one of the dogs, the older one, was, we always say she was like a princess wrapped up in brown fur. She could not go to the kennel, like, no way. And then the lab was um, such a nervous wreck from, you know, her past experiences. We felt like she would think she was being abandoned, so she couldn't go to the kennel. So we had our neighbor watching our dogs, and she called us up about four or five days before our trip, very apologetic. She had a family emergency. She had to go out of town. And um, so we're like, okay, well, the Grand Canyon is off for this year. We'll do it another year, which PS we never did. And um, we'll just Google, where could you go to that's pet friendly that you can drive to from Richmond that is not the Outer Banks or Myrtle Beach or any of like the vacation like hot spots because we wanted something that was going to be a little bit quieter had been a traumatic time the resort was you know going and nobody we knew had ever heard about it or had never seen it nobody knew about it we literally went on a mediocre website at the time, a couple of pictures, couldn't really conceptualize where all the different parts and pieces of the resort were. But we're like, at this point, this is our YOLO trip. Let's just do it. And um, we did. And we could take the dogs. We stayed in a little cottage. It was super cute, very convenient, face the water. Um, the beach was deserted. There was no one on the beach. It's a spring break week. And um, we thought there'd be other families. And, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be, you know, super crowded. Obviously, that's what attracted us, but still like zero people. And we were like, this is perfection. It was literally like when we turned into the resort, it was like all the pieces just clicked into place. Mm -hmm. to be I can't explain it other than and like even still just now saying it it's like I get goosebumps from being there it's just like nothing short of magical to um be in that place for us it's not for everyone but for us it was and we ended up feeling so strongly about it that on the resort property, there are home sites. And so the resort has all the parts and pieces or had them at the time of golf course, restaurant and, you know, conference center and all those different things. But there's also a number of home sites. There were some homes built and then there were about 300 lots that are, you know, on this property. And it's um, one of them was for sale. And we were like, let's buy a, a piece of property. So the kids got <laughs> but it was, and we are not those people that can just willy nilly like buy property here, there, everywhere. Like we are not those people. So it was a sacrifice. And, um, but that's how strongly we felt this connection for what it was going to be. And um, so we started talking to builders and going through the process of what a home site might be at the time I was working remotely. I had moved from Connecticut and I had my job that I took with me from there. We were living in, in Virginia and um, I was going in my mind, we were going to build this house. We're going to spend the summers there. The kids were going to have this like, you know, free range kind of childhood where they could go and do these things that you wouldn't be able to do in your neighborhood, you know, go on treasure hunts and read on the beach. And it was so idyllic. Yes. It was like literally, and I would imagine it and I dream about it and we'd work through it and all of that. And we were, we found a builder, everything was in place. And then the resort went bankrupt and um, we were like, we cannot build this house. We don't know how the services are going to come together. You, uh, There's no bridge to this island. You need a transportation. That was my question. Not to interrupt you, but 
middle of, you know, the bankruptcy, somebody else bought it out of bankruptcy eventually. And um, so we were like, okay, all right, now's the time. We found a new builder so because the builders had moved on from this project because, you know, that nobody was building anything. And uh, we found a new builder, started refining these plans, all of that, probably about a year or two years, something like that. We wait, once the new uh, owner purchased, we waited to see, you know, is this actually a real thing? So it was a couple of years into this, kids are getting older um not so excited about spending summers away from friends and sports and you know all of that and um that person went bankrupt and um he ended up in I believe they went bankrupt ultimately the person who owned the resort was its largest creditor and he is an international investor not in the u.s um wasn't really interested in being a resort owner i mean he was just investing so he just kind of was biding his time and um really doing the minimal he paid the taxes he did basic maintenance but there were hurricanes that went through the area there's just so much destruction um the resort was in a, you know, a shell of its former self. And we, you know, really put the idea of building just, you know, we still vacation there in these, like in people who owned homes or cottages and we rented directly from them, but we did not move forward with our own home plan. And then during the pandemic, like so many other people, you know, you, you're you have nothing else to do. So you start envisioning, like, what can you do? And this project had kind of been on my mind for a few years. Mm -hmm. What actually happened and why are we there? And um, so in 2020, I was sitting on my back deck here in Atlanta. We had moved and I said, you know, like this property, it's, it kills me to go there and see what it was. And I know what it could be. And yes, the resort was listed for sale, but the brokerage people were really not doing anything. There was no advertisement. There was no, no one was doing really anything. And I said, why don't I, I came up with this plan. And I, it became very clear after I started doing this that my plan A was not going to work because I wanted these like pieces to fall into place and they weren't going to. So I came up with a real plan that involved me talking to people, connecting, trying to network just to get people in the room to talk about this resort to see if they were interested and ultimately people were and um, somebody stepped forward and put an offer on the um, resort. And um, there was a, a luxury operator who became involved in that project. And it was really just from networking. But honestly, I don't, that's not my profession. I have no hospitality contacts. I mean, it is a very strange thing. Like I would reach out to people on LinkedIn and say like, I'm interested in revitalizing this resort in South Carolina. You know, I'm hoping to connect with people who share my interest in, you know, development, hospitality, depending whoever these people were. Yeah. And some people I never heard from, but um, some people said, hey, like, tell me more about this. And I was like, I'm in, you know, so I would um, talk to them about this project. And then ultimately, um, I did site tours with people. I toured them around. I told them about the history. You know, I wasn't getting like, I'm not, I wasn't paid for this. Right. It was just. was not that I wasn't being paid because I didn't want to be paid and I didn't want any kind of publicity or acknowledgement from it. It was just people's reaction to who I was, was. I would say I have no nothing. I am not. I have no skin in the game. If you buy it, if you don't buy it, it I, I get nothing from this besides knowing that the resort is what it should be and can be. Um, right. People would say like, "Yeah, but what? What? Like, are you getting a side? Like, are you going to want something?" And I'm like, 
I don't want anything. Like I, it, I just want you to talk to the right people. And that was the hardest thing for people to truly trust that there was no ulterior motive um, at all. But ultimately I connected with a person I went to college with um, and he said, Hey, you know, what have you been up to? And he went to school with my husband. He had just written a book and, um, but it was nonfiction. And he said, let me introduce you to my publisher because he might be interested in this story. And I said, well, I'm not writing a book. You know, I, I'm I'm just doing this. I already have a full-time job and now I have this and I'm not writing a book. So he's like, well, just talk to him. So I talked to the publisher and he was like, you know, it's a great story, but we probably, it's not really marketable because you have no social media presence, which at the time I did not. And everything he said was completely true. And um, you did it anonymously. You did it, you know, so there's no paper trail. It's kind of like your word. And um, so he's like, but I know you want to tell the story about this island. And so, you know, maybe you want to try writing a fictional story. And so I was like, well, I wasn't really thinking about writing a book at all, but, you know, okay. And so he said, you can try to write this story, but understand that this is not like a guarantee that we or anyone else is going to publish it. Like you got to go through the same thing that everybody else is going to go through, write your story. We'll look at it. And one of three things is going to happen. Either we're going to say thanks, but no thanks. And you're but you have to, you know, do a lot of revision because like, who knows how you write or, you know, third, um, maybe we'll give you a contract. And um, I was like, okay, well, that's all I needed was like a challenge because I'm like, all right, so um, I can do this. And I'm like, can I do this? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> how, how hard could it be? Right. And I'm like, I, I can do it. It turns out it's actually pretty hard. So I was like, I don't know that I can do this. And um, so I did. We stuck to a timeline. We did all that. And um, we met kind of periodically. And he would check in to say, like, how's it going? Where are you? How many words have you written? You know, are you coming up to any challenges? And um, ultimately, it was, um, he said, okay, submit it. He said, by end of October, you can submit it. And then uh, we'll see where it lands. And then a couple weeks later, I got an email that said they wanted to offer me a contract. And I legitimately almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it just was the fact that this book and this story is going to be told and this island is going day is just so humbling. It was like Christmas, my birthday, like all wrapped into one. I, I just, yes, yes, definitely. So yeah, that's the story. There are no coincidences. I really <laughs> believe this in my life. I do. Um, but earlier, as you were telling your, the very brief story, because I want to dig in, logistically if there's no bridge to the island like what is it ships like how do people how did that even yeah the logistics that's the logistics when the resort was in it you know and when the resort was operational there is a there was a ferry that the resort would run and they would take people back and forth when the resort went through bankruptcy there needed to be a public ferry because the um there are people who live on the island year round and they need to get back and forth and actually like school children after middle school go to school at high school groceries and you know all of this stuff so the public ferry would take them back and forth and but there was a period of time that the public ferry was very you know sporadic I mean, it is much better now but there was a period that you would make these reservations to go on vacation and you'd have no idea like I would say I have the cottage but I don't have the transportation to the island and I don't have any transportation from the dock to the place and you'd have to hope that all the pieces came together, you know, and 
people would say like, why are you vacationing there? Like that is not a vacation. And I'm like, it is, you don't understand. Like once you get there, it is worth it. It is not like that today, but it is more buttoned up today. But there were many years like that, that you would have to really gamble. Like, you know, we'd have to be resourceful and to figure out, you know, if, if uh, all the pieces would come together and it was, a, you know, it was work. It was work to go on your vacation for sure. Oh my gosh. So what does it look like now? Um, obviously it's not fully rebuilt or is it? No. And it's really. As per the usual on this island, there is always like a little bit more. Um, and so right before they were going to close, um, the county stepped forward and said, we are condemning the um, the dock, the landing on the island side, and we are going to take that for ourselves and run the county ferry out of there. And um so they are winding their way through the legal aspect of that. And I think that's really kind of put any development on hold um, with it. And so it continues and remains in this hold pattern of what is going to happen. And the island people have really been through a very long, I mean, this has been through 2008, you know, it's 15 since 2008. Oh, my God second person stepped forward who ultimately ended up in jail. He had done some um, renovations of some of the assets, but, and they were functional. There was a restaurant going, the pool was beautiful. They had all teak furniture and, um, you know, so for visitors, they were able to really, you know, use things that were important to them that could stay in the cottages or in people's homes and eat in the restaurant and go to the pool and beautiful beach and all of those things. But that didn't last long. And so now like the pool is being leased and run by somebody, but it's not nearly what it could be. Um, so it's everything is just kind of on hold right now. But that is one area of the island. The island is seven miles long. And there is another neighborhood that's a gated community. And they are fully functional. They have their own transportation. They have their own restaurant. Whoa. Functioning and life is going on for those people. And then there's a good number of people on the island who would prefer for no resorts to be on the island. And they like that, the dirt roads, they like the quiet. And so for them, they're okay with, if as long as they have transportation on and off the island, you know, to do their shopping and medical needs and, you know, stuff of life, they're okay with that. So it's just kind of this microcosm that's just going on. <laughs> so. So you have to walk me through how you did this book because I've interviewed authors before and I'm always like, do you map it out? How'd you get your idea? A lot of times people say it comes to them, you know, like they're sitting there and they just begin writing. Um, you've never, you, you're not an author by profession and your love for this island is motivating you as is the challenge. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know many women to, to step away from a challenge. So like, how did you even begin to structure this? Yeah. Um, so it's funny, I joined a writing group when I, um, uh, on a meetup group that was um, a shut up and write group. And I was like, that's perfect for me. So I would schedule it, you know, it'd be scheduled. These were all, um, I joined two of them, actually. There was one in Colorado, you know, I'm in Atlanta. And so there was one in Colorado, but it worked for my schedule. And so um, I did that one. And then I did one that was in Atlanta. And one of the groups said to me, are you a plotter or a pantser? And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like those are technical terms and I don't know what they are. So um, 
a plotter is somebody who writes out the story and, you know, details it all out. And then if then, and I'm like, oh no, I don't do anything in my life like that. So I wish I, I probably would. No, um, definitely a pantser, which is, you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants. So um, I was, <laughs> that is totally me. So what I do for writing is um, I cannot say that, okay, Tuesday at 7 p.m., I'm going to write 100 pages. Um, I'd like to do that, but I cannot. So I will be thinking about my book and the stories and the characters. Um, and then something will occur to me and I could either write for two hours and move the story along, but I see the, the story in my mind. And then I just put the words down. Like I can see these characters. They're so real to me. It's like, I know them, like they're sitting around my dining room table. Like to me, they are real people in the, in a way. And even the island is a character, you know, it's like the stuff that the island gives to you from experiencing it is, you know, in a, in a way like a, a character of the book. And so the core character ebb and flow. And so I have like what I call the main core, the main group, and it's um, the protagonist is a woman who leaves Atlanta and goes to Mungin Island, which is an uh, river in on yeah, that flows through that area, rather than call it Defusky. I've called it Mungin Island. She goes to Mungin Island. They had bought a house there years ago. Her husband has passed away and she starts her life over as a middle aged woman um on this island and has to reinvent herself and so she buys a bookstore she opens a bookstore which is a need on the island but she wants it to be a place where people can come and gather and and you know get energy from each other as a community focused group um and then sell books so its primary purpose is not to make her zillions of dollars you know being the next Barnes and Noble or whatever it's to place and then sell some books. So uh, she opens Books and Brew and she has her friend Barb, who is, um, this is the first, she knew her before they, she moved there full time, but she didn't know her. And she, it, this is her first independent adult relationship that she's had as not part of a couple and not part of somebody's mom or, you know, not a work friend it's just her. So the two of them are developing this relationship. And then she uh, also brings in Tripp, who is a retired school teacher, and he is her right-hand man at the bookstore. And so the three of them are um, the core characters. And then, of course, there is a bookstore dog, because like, what would life be without a dog? And so Buddy is in there and he is, um, he's a rescue and he is um, her companion in the bookstore. And so I can see them. I know exactly what they look like. I know um, what they would say. And I've had feedback where people like the editor, for instance, has said, well, why don't you say, you know, that maybe so-and-so has said this, this way. And I'm like, no, she wouldn't say that. Like, that's not who she is. Like, this is how she'd say it. So, yeah. um, you know, so they're very real to me. And uh, what would happen if, in their adventure, if this was like a real, if this, if she was actually presented with this. And because I know this island so well, like it's so, so much a part of you know, this period in my life has been like almost two thirds of my marriage has been spent on this island. You know, it's, um, you know, I can picture where they are on the island and what it looks like and what it smells like and, you know, how people would be dressed. And, you know, it's just like, it's actually really happening. So, um, so I hope that's what people pick up when they read it is that they feel like 
they know these people and that they know this place. So that's phenomenal. So have you, cause there's so much that goes into being an author. Um, have you created a social media presence for your book or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm on Instagram and on Instagram, uh, my handle is the. And we have uh, just like 275 or so followers, which I'm proud of from the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing. I've avoided social media like bubonic plague. So um, and here we are. So um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn because I was surprised the number of authors and um, editors and people in the book industry that are um on LinkedIn. And so I have a presence there. It's under the pen name, Laura Elizabeth. And um, so that's that we're there. I have a website, which is really just growing and growing. It's um, also the islandmysteries.com. And I have an events page there that has all of, you know, the things on it. But the, the thing that I find so super exciting is that people are going to the website and then they're subscribing to my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Yay. (laughs) And I love it so much because people are writing, like sending me emails from there. Like I just, in the July episode uh, version, I had, um, And um, I put that in the newsletter and I've had so many people write and say, like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do it. It's like they're starting to feel that connection to, you know, the the characters. And of course, like not many people have been able to read the book unless we've bumped into each other at one of my events, because the book is not going to be released, as you said, until mid-September. So they don't have context yet, but they're looking forward to it, which thrills me beyond belief. Like I, I just... I can't even stand it. It's like, I see these emails come in and I'm like, it's just like the luckiest day. It's just so amazing. That's a, that's awesome. How did you know it was going to be a series though? When did that develop? Are so familiar and strong that people are going to want to know more about them. Like they are going to be sad when the book ends I just know it. So would you want to do a series? And I thought like, what does a series look like? You know, and um, he's like, a series could be as many books as you want it to be, like as many stories as you, you know, think you have and um, that you want to tell. And so I hung up from that call and I talked to my husband and my children about it. And I thought, let's think about all the different people that we would want to have something you know, like the scenarios of um, what could happen on this island. And then I'm like, I don't want people to feel like they're going to this island and their life is in peril, <laughs> you know, right. that they right. may be bumped off going to um, this island. So, um, and we quickly came up with like, you know, five, six, seven solid stories that we were like, we could see this happening any place. But really here, because, um, you know, we were the next one that I'm working on book two now, and I have a story in mind and it's, um, you know, kind of what, like. In a place that I can imagine it happening. So, um, you know, that's really part of it is that I have to really be able to get it. And so I could really see those scenarios um, coming. And so that's where we landed. And so I did agree with the publisher that um, it could be a a series. So because I could buy into it without it being like, you know, too much, you know, that you're, you're straining for a story. There's also, it's so mysterious. And there's so many nooks and crannies on this island. And there's just, the fact that there isn't a bridge, 
like people go there intentionally. And so, and there's some people who go like we do for, you know, to be restored and to get away from crowds, but there are other people who would prefer not to interact, you know, they just want solitude and that lends itself to these kind of mysterious environments where things could happen that you may not necessarily know. And that's ultimately the setting of where the um, victim is found in um, All Is Now Lost is that when we first found this place years ago, it was very, very creepy. And it doesn't look like that today, but it then it did. And we were like, what is this place? And um, when I was thinking about like something could go down here and um, you know, there it was. So that's the advantage of knowing like so many different places. It's that you can find these little squirrely places where something could happen that is off the beaten track. How long did it take you to write um, the first book? Three months. Is that typical? Cause that's pretty fast. It's pretty fast. Um, and uh no, it, I guess it isn't. I didn't have any point of reference, um, but it was like once I started on the story, it was um, like it just kept coming. And um, now for the second book, in some ways it's easier because the characters, you know, the core characters are known, but I don't want it to be that you have to read book one to get book two. So there is still a little bit of an introduction, but I don't want it to be if you read book one that we're starting at the beginning either. So I'm trying to find that balance of getting you to know the characters without reintroducing all of their backstory and all of that, but it's easier to get into the actual story. And I don't want it to be like things that I had to, I have to think about now that I didn't have to think about with book one, right? It's like, I don't want it to be like every book is here's the beginning, there's the crime, there's the thing. So I don't want it to be like a formula. When you read my story, you're going to be like, okay, in 30 pages, now we have the crime. You have to wait and be, you know, a little bit um, curious about what, what is happening. Is this the introduction to the crime or like, is this scene going to be what happens or no, you know, but I don't want it to be like, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then you're just, you know, so finding that balance of, um, when the crime can be introduced, I'm just about there. Now I've set up a couple of different scenarios where you, you're starting to wonder, who's going to be the victim and who's, you know, are any of these people suspects? So, and in a cozy, the crime appears off screen, you know, like we don't, we, we're not assaulted in the book. We're not, you know, shot in the book. So um, thankfully, because then it's like gone all those gory details. So I don't have to do all the forensics and all of that, but it's, you know, in these scenarios are, is this person that you're meeting right now important for me to remember? Or is this just like a nice part of the story? So, you know, how much do you lay out this almost Easter egg of, you know, somebody that um, is just part of the, part of the character of the island. So it's finding that balance right now. So in the first book, did you plant the seed of the second book? You said it's going to be, if someone wanted to leap right into the second book, they could. Yeah. But is it like towards the end, like an introduction of people or is it just, you could pick yeah. it up and start. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They're standalone and there's only a hint, like the very last paragraph of the uh, last page of the book says like, um, the Barb, who is the yeah. um, protagonist's friend, says, like, I can only imagine the adventures we're going to have. And um, so there's like a little foreshadowing that something else is coming, but nothing, nothing about book one besides the main characters are, are relatable into book two. So. Okay, so 
I'm a mom too. Um, I have a full-time job. How have you balanced this? Obviously support of your family, you know, a great partner in crime, but like how taking on so much, you know, how have you done that? It's um, my children are grown. And so that is, child who lives near me in Atlanta and one child who lives um, in Texas. And so um, I'm still very active in their lives and they are in mine. And that's the way, you know, we, we want it. And um, so it is a lot. <laughs> it's, um, it is definitely a lot of um, balancing, pulling back, prioritizing, um, but I keep very, very detailed notes. I have a notebook that I have for all of my events. Um, I write down like what my expectations are, what I have to pack. So when I have free time, I really work. It's almost like a planning system where I will have all the details. That helps me more than anything, just feel like I have things in control, which is, you know, I mean, a laugh if we think that we can control, yeah. you know, it's just a placebo that right. we right. think that we can, but it helps fuel me um, to getting there. And then I do try and allocate at least a few hours to a book. And so whether it's book one where I'm spending connecting with people and talking about it um, or book It's about doing things that are really worthwhile, which only comes from experience and what little I have. So I'm clearly not an expert, but it is um, things that I know work for me. I'll continue doing, but I don't try and, you know, blast a mile wide and an inch deep. So because um, that is not effective and I just find myself being stretched. I also... Um, I've kind of just made things certain priority. Like if I know I have my brother coming into town in a few weeks and his family, and that will be a priority visit for me because I only see him maybe once a year. And so I will know that in days leading up to that, like I'm not going to try and do something that is, that's going to distract me from, from being present in the things that are important. So um, it's just really being intentional and being thoughtful about what I'm doing. But in the beginning, I was trying to do everything yeah. and um, you can't, you know, you just can't. Wow. On our, my family, you know, I, I like to eat. And so I have to do my actual real job. And sure. then um, I'm going to um, do, you know, the book things, in a way that is authentic and true to the island and to the mission of this story, which was the goal all along has been to tell the story of the island and to for people to know how wonderful this place really is and how important it is that you find the project, whatever it is that you know, brings fulfillment to you. If you have a passion project, you know, to do it, you owe it to yourself to do it. You know, you owe it to your friends, to your colleagues, to the world, you know, to tell your story and in whatever way that, you know, is your passion project. But if you have something that's calling you, you should do it, you know? So that's really what the true mission is. So I was going to ask about advice you would give others, and there it is. Yeah. Um, um, because so many of us want to uh, find ourselves sharing, storytelling, wh whatever it looks like. And um, that just really was so spot on. Do you find yourself um, struggling with imposter syndrome? Are you kind of like, pinching yourself like how did I get here you know are you just and then how do you deal with it are you just like I'm going to just keep going I have everything I need the priorities everything's on track like because I know sometimes when you find yourself you never thought you would be an author and here you are writing a series <laughs> um and being published oh my god right 
And you still have your full-time job. I know I have mine because I love Target and Starbucks. That's right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's why I work. So um, do you ever just kind of sit back and like this really started with your neighbor, not taking your dogs and here you are right? years later and your whole life has kind of pivoted and you could have never imagined this. That's so amazing. Oh, yeah. The, the thing that I try and um, say to myself, which is like, sometimes I really just need to slow it down and really think through because there have been highs and lows, right? Like, like everyone, you have great times in your life and then you have very difficult times. And some of these moves have been very difficult for me, like moving from Richmond to Atlanta. I didn't want to, but, you know, as a family, that was the move. And um, you feel like you're giving up things. And so you end up in a role like when I'm, when I had the role in, in my professional job in um, Connecticut, and then I took it to Virginia, it was like kind of isolating and I didn't really love it. It wasn't like what I felt I was, what I imagined I would be doing in my life. Right. So all of these things have prepared me for today. And so it's like having that you know, the maturity, which I did not have, but I like hope to look back at my former self and say, these were the life lessons that the universe or someone was trying to teach me was that, you know, it was um, these things that happen in your life, the good, the bad, the difficult, the challenging, the times that you feel that you're like, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Like I, I pay my bills, I pay my taxes. I give, you know, I go give money to the food thing, you know, like I'm doing all the things. Why is this happening? Well, all of those things that happened were preparing me for today. So if I hadn't really gone through these bankruptcies and if it had been super easy we had won the lottery and we built this you know second house and we'd done all things that we thought we were going to do um i wouldn't have known what it was like to stand up and call people and get on the phone and say hey there's this really special place you know so now when i'm talking about this book I've had a year and a half of telling people, you don't know me and you don't, you can't really trust me. My word is, doesn't mean anything to you because you don't really know me, but there's this really special thing I want to tell you about. Well, it's a lot easier for me to tell them about this book that I actually do know and do care about, you know, versus this resort that is kind of ambiguous. So all of that stuff prepared me for today. I just didn't see it at the time. And so I feel like, you know, they've been challenges. There's been some real challenges. Like every, you know, everyone has their things, their hardships or disappointments, the things that you thought were going to be the way life was. But even I try to say they have prepared me for today. I'm well prepared for today. It may not work out the way I intended to, but at least I know that I have what I need to try to make it work. And that's how I felt with the project for the resort is that I don't know if I'm going to be successful. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but at the, I mean, it can't be any worse than what's happening right now. Right. So, I mean, why not try? I can talk to people. The worst that's going to happen is, you know, they're going to hang up or they're going to, I'm not worse off than I am today. And my kids laugh all the time because I'll say to them, you know, they'll come with a problem. Now that they're adults, it's it's not the same types of problems, of course, but they'll, you know, have these things and say, like, I would always say to them, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? If you can imagine what the worst thing is, and people would say that's a terrible, it's like a fatalistic approach to life. I don't think it is. I think like, if you can imagine that, chances are it's going to be so much better than the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing is not likely to happen, but you know, if you can survive that, you can survive all these discomforts and, you know, inconveniences. And, and that's sometimes what 
things are, but they feel so insurmountable when they happen, especially when they sequentially happen. It's hard to dig yourself out of those things. So that's my, I, I think the way I don't necessarily have imposter syndrome. I feel like, but I do feel incredibly lucky and grateful for just having the experiences that I've had and, and feeling like, you know, yellow. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> How come the book is being published in September when I really want it now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I love that so much. Um, Yes. I was so upset when I went to go get it. I'm like, what? The 13th of September? I know. It's, um, I don't really understand the pre-launch either. It's supposed to be getting excitement, but I'm so excited now. I can't imagine what September is, is going to be because, um, you know, we're supposed to be getting all this buzz and there is a lot of, you know, excitement around it. I mean, for this book, but, um, yeah, September seems like it's far away. <laughs> so. in it, and it's kind of like a test in patience for me because I'm not <laughs> individual. So I got the message, but, oh my gosh, I'm really excited about following those characters and, uh, Wow, I'm just so grateful that you found me and to do what you did. I mean, sometimes I live in fear, like it just stops me, you know. Um, but listening to you, it's it's so motivating and inspiring because all you had to do was like reach out to a few people who gave you more people who and got this ball rolling, and then you know, your dogs needed you and it just, it just seems to me as I'm listening to you there, it all happened for this point. And I know you said that, but it is it's true, right? It's like, it feels like it just was, but I couldn't see it. You know, it was so soul crushing. You know, it's like we get to this point and we're saving and we're scrimping and we're, you know, we're saying, oh, well, we won't do all these other things. We won't go on the trips and do all these things that we thought, okay, we moved from Connecticut, we moved to Richmond, our our quality of life is going to improve. It's not as expensive. And we'll have, you know, we can do these things that we want to provide for our children. But no, we buy this property. And so we're scrimping and we're saving or hoping and we're going to put it all into this house. And then like the rug gets and I know this is like a very first world problem, like for you, you can't build your beach house. But like, the point is, is that no matter what it is, is a dream that you have that you put all of your energy into. And then that, and you think like, well, why? Like, we're, we're not asking for somebody else to do it. We're, we're working towards it. We have a goal We're you know, we're, this is all moving. No. So then, okay, well, we'll wait. And then we get up to the second time and we're like, okay, we're here. We're ready. We're, we're ready to go. We've been saving, sacrificing. No, you're not. So all of those things were like, okay, it's not just the beach house, which was, I mean, would have been incredible. It was the gift that we wanted to give our children of having this time together as a family where there isn't the distraction of the movie theater and the friends and the miniature golf and the ice cream shop. And it was like, you go to this island and it is you and your children and your people and you're, you're building the, those ties of family. So it wasn't like, oh, we want this second house because we want to live this really bougie life. It's like, we want to, you know, have this community of, and then we want to pass this to our children for their children and to have this like safe haven from, you know, the, the complexities uh, of, the world and um you know to not be able to do that when we felt like we we're doing all the right things that's just one thing i mean people have complexities in their life this is just one problem but it was um yeah i feel like all of the pieces were lined up from the very first time if we had gone to the grand canyon if we didn't have the dogs we would have yeah. probably never gone there and 
you know, we might never have had any of these experiences. And we certainly wouldn't have had the vacations that we did have in all these years that have been in the interim in all these other people's homes that we've rented or whatever, where we still had those picnic on the beaches and we still, you know, took these mile long walks along and we collected shells and we, we saw a turtle um, hatching all the, you know, we saw that happen that we had breakfast on the beach one morning and we saw all the loggerheads hatch from a turtle nest and make their way into the water. And that simple tie to the, to nature was so compelling of knowing that like seeing that cycle of life um, was just an amazing moment in time. And, you know, we've seen just some incredible, we've had, we play apples to apples as a family and it is like you're in it for your life when you play apples to apples. I mean, we play like our life depends on this game. So um, it is like a full on NFL level sport of who's going to win apples to apples or Pictionary or anything. All of those things happened because of that one, you know, moment where we had these dogs, we said, well, we choose the dogs over, you know, what would have been easy just to put them in a kennel and like deal with the outcome when we got back, you know, it's, um, so I don't know. It just feels like it was a destiny, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my kids let me win apples to apples once. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> my husband is still waiting. He says it's uh, it's all a conspiracy against him, but we like gang up, you know. It's to a point where people are like ganging up on me. So you would get along famously with him. He feels very slighted from that experience. (laughs) So as we're wrapping up, just one piece of advice to our listeners about um, just how to keep pushing through or any bits of advice. Um, Because uh, I mean, I'm, when I get up, I want to go do something like outline a book or, you know, I, I'm like motivated. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to do the laundry waiting for me. So oh, no. No. No, no, no. Okay. Just I don't want to do that either. <laughs> advice. Yeah. I would say find a spot wherever it is in your home, in nature, in your yard, in a park, whatever, and give yourself a little bit of time to find that one special thing, the thing that matters to you, whatever it is. And people have reached out and said, there's one person who's starting a literacy group for adults who are learning English as a second language. Um, another woman is starting a book club that is, um, you know, doing different genres of um, of literature, um, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you feel you're being called to do, there's a reason that you have that message, you know, to you do it, do it at whatever level it is that you want to do. If it's something in your community, if it's something for your family, if it's something for a colleague, whatever it is, that is your passion project. And it's there for you for some reason, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your community to hear what is on your heart because you in your own way are going to be a, a, a life changer. It's just something could be something very small and you have no idea the ripple effect that that one small step will, you know, do for you. I, I often watch this I watch it probably at least once a year. It's called One Small Step. And it's um, a documentary of a woman who, um, her name is Hilda Back, and she was a Holocaust survivor. And she sponsored a child in Kenya for his education. And that person went on to be a Fulbright scholar, went to Harvard Law, works for the UN, and started a foundation in her honor and met her. And she was the only woman in her family, she just died, um, who survived the Holocaust and still gave her money. She was a kindergarten teacher and still invested in an unknown country and an unknown person and changed his life. So it was just, you know, a few dollars that she was giving. And he now 
funds education for children in Kenya who after middle school, their parents need to, you know, pay for education. So all these kids have been educated just from this one person's um, donation. So that even after she saw the worst of humanity, she was still able to do that. You know, there's something for all of us to do. So um, no matter, even if you think it's inconsequential, I can, I would bet any amount of money that it is not. You have no idea. Sometimes it's just doing something small for one person. You may have changed that person's whole view on their day. And, you know, who knows what that person's going to do. So just do it, you know, do it. There's something there for you. Do it. it. Okay. Look, I cannot wait for your book. And so when I, I post your episode, I'm going to send a link from your website, have everybody subscribe to your newsletter. And um, I'm just really grateful you found me and I'm inspired. And I just wanted to thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I, I love this. If you know people that want, you know, to talk, a book club, all of those things, <laughs> I do. I do do that. I've done two, three, three book clubs so far, another one booked um, and um, or just talking to people. I'm like, I'm happy to do that because it, it, you know, is like I learn from them. I get energy from people. And so I'd be happy to do that. Just reach out to me. Absolutely. I plan on it. And just really, Laura, thank you again. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You may definitely make mine. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I loved our time together. Thank you so much. Absolutely.